Warning, the following episode may contain explicit language as well as descriptions of what it's like to work in an overwhelmed healthcare system. Both may be equally disturbing to some listeners these days. Talking about us. The year is 1349, and the Black Death is ravaging the population of much of Europe and its adjacent nations. The oldest operating hospital in the world, the Hotel Dieu of Paris, is struggling under the influx of patients. Nurse! Hello, nurse! Monsieur, I told you, someone will be there when I have a moment. I'm quite busy right now, and I'm not even your nurse. Nurse! Oh, for heaven's sake, if you need something, can't you ring the bell instead of shouting? I tried that, but he rang the bell so much he broke. Well, did you then try using your agonizing screams to get your nurse's attention instead? It's getting harder to scream, though I'm quite frail. Look, can't you see we're overwhelmed? I'm trying to care for 12 patients at once. Your nurse is also overwhelmed. We don't have enough resources to go around. The monks who are in charge of this hospital keep the purse strings tight so we aren't paid much. On top of that, there's no running water. I'm 14 hours into my 28-hour shift and I haven't had a moment to go to the bathroom or eat. I know you're suffering, but so are we all. And we're doing the best we can with what we have. It must be difficult, but I am begging you to be understanding. You and millions of others are dying from the plague, and we're all in misery together, I'm afraid. Why don't they just hire more nurses? Oh, my goodness, there it is. We have been waiting for the Oracle to appear and give us the answer out of this mess. More nurses, why didn't we think of that? Okay, you don't have to be sarcastic. It takes years to train the nurses, monsieur. And what with all the glory that comes with emptying a day's worth of chamber pots in an overstuffed hospital, full of those suffering from the plague, it might strike you as odd, but believe it or not, there just doesn't seem to be a large line of people signing up for this line of work. I'm sorry that I don't have constructive answer for these crises. I was just hoping I could get some help to go to the bathroom. Oh, you seem able-bodied enough from where I'm standing. Why can't you go to the bathroom on your own? Well, it is just difficult to get out of the bed, being at the bottom of a pile of six people currently stacked on top of me. Maybe you could dig me out? Fine. Give me a moment to find some help. Hey, Susan, can you come here and help for a moment? Oh, you need help digging a patient out of bed. Hurry. Did you hear? The monks got us some coffee and beignets. They're in the break room. Break room? What break room? I haven't seen a break room here in five years. Oh, it's up in the back of the ward on the sixth floor. We constructed it out of a pile of patients. The monks have asked for us to be creative with resources we have, so it turns out you can stack patients to make a room if you need to. Can I return your attention to the matter at hand, madame? What did we say about being patient? Do you want to end up as a wall? No. Didn't think so. Welcome, everyone. This is Poor Historians, the podcast delving into the archives of medical history. As three practicing emergency physicians, we will explore the unusual ailments, treatments, physicians, and all related material having to do with the healing arts. I'm Max, and I'm joined here by my good friends and colleagues, Aaron and Mike. Gentlemen, would you say that today's episode has a few parallels to our current situation? Oh, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see, yeah? Maybe maybe there are some commonalities. That sketch hit close to home, though, didn't it? (laughs) Right? Absolutely. It's like Absolutely. all the same things that people complain about now. Mm-hmm. Except being wait, stacked under six people. Oh, I thought, what do you mean skit? Oh, right, what right, right. Mean? The transcript. Yeah, that was. <laughs> My God. 
<laughs> they, they, didn't they find that underground in the in the louver? Isn't that? It was the, next to the big nuts. <laughs> There's a bunch of petrified big nuts. <laughs> oh yeah. What do they say in France? So they say D's nays. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. Podcast listener. I have to take a moment to say that at this point in the conversation, we did launch into a long tangent about charting definitive articles, usage of grammar, and it went on for a while. And while I think it was a very fascinating conversation that needed to happen, I decided to move into the outtakes. So let's let's return to what we were doing. Let's return to the scheduled broadcast. I don't, I don't know that it's scheduled. It's whenever you listen to it, really. Before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to remind everyone that this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to provide medical advice and exists only to entertain. Go get your CME elsewhere. And with that giant discussion on charting, definitely move to the back of the episode. Let's go to our main topic. I think this episode's going to be uh, it's going to be a doozy. Yeah, so like we talked about a little bit in the beginning, just a crazy time in medicine right now for for all of us overcrowding. We don't have enough beds for patients. Uh, It was quite shocking to see mass graves earlier in the COVID pandemic. It does feel like people are scared to be admitted to the hospital, afraid they'll get sick. With a fraying social safety net, it feels like we're seeing a lot of people that just don't have anywhere else to go. And we end up feeling like we're having to solve problems that we weren't meant to solve. And then the staff feel really stretched and it doesn't feel like there's enough of us. We sort of touched on all that. I think that's very common. But when I say all those things, what time period are you thinking of? I mean, we're all thinking that we feel this right now. I do feel this right now. Yeah. yeah. Don't tell me what I can and cannot think. Oh, you, you, no, I, I, I heartily endorse that you can feel this. You don't validate me, Aaron. I endorse your feelings as well. (laughs) But all of this applied to the Black Death or cholera or just uh, any number of pandemics. And it turns out random medieval life at the oldest hospital in the world. Sorry, let me amend that. The oldest currently operating hospital in the world, the Hotel Dieu in Paris. And I have family members that speak French. Don't correct me. I know I'm doing it wrong. That is our subject today. Do you think they're going to like your accent or not? Oh, they're going to hate it. It's so wrong that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they might even, I don't know if they'll make it through that first. Should have done another disclaimer on the accent, I think. <laughs> yes. And what, what other pandemics are you referring to? Was it COVID-1587? <laughs> it's so many, so many. <laughs> Cholera, black, there's routine pandemics. But yeah, so I, I thought, you know, just to go through the history of this, there, we got a ghost story in here, which I picked out of many, an urban legend uh, from Paris that I thought was great. There is labor exploitation, there's overcrowding, there's provider shortages, there's public graveyards, there's fires, there's rebuilding, there's final eventual progress. Um, But really stood out is, you know, the commonalities between then and now. So to go back, the, the Hotel Dieu, people think, first off, again, rabbit hole, but many hospitals were called that, but this is the one in Paris. They were called Hotel? Uh, hotel Dieu, right? So the word Hotel in French, I think has a little bit, it's, you could say hotel, but it also could mean hostel or common building or something like that. So it's not a direct translation. Oh my God. Is the word motel then, does that mean like American hotel? <laughs> <laughs> and if it's yeah. due, does that mean there's the a first one? Like it's yeah. the second hotel? <laughs> no, due, like God. No, dear. Dear, no, dear. D-I-E-U, like hotel dear. So it, my accent's so bad, but like basically God's hospital, right? God's hotel okay. would be one way to potentially translate it. Better have nice, uh, nice accoutrements. It's accoutrements. Yeah, they did. They did. 651, only, only three numbers in that date during the reign of Charlemagne. It's just old, Wait, Charlemagne old the God? <laughs> Isn't that a rapper? <laughs> That's a rapper, right? So you said this place was established in 651? Yeah. Six hundred yeah. year six hundred and five one. Yeah, six five one only, only. I mean, it's A.D. or B.C.E. or whatever you want to call it. Wait, when when was it in relation to the Battle of Yavin? <laughs> Do we have a date for the Battle of Yavin? It's that's a long, long time ago, and it was really far away. <laughs> you know. 
not a lot of great documentation because it's so damn old, but the hospital was built, then rebuilt, and then remodeled right next to the Notre Dame Cathedral and is still in that same neighborhood. Uh, There's a close relationship between God's Hotel and the church, and it was run by nuns for literally over a thousand years while the monks watched the donations and kept the books, Mm. Uh, which, you know, I think they... Interesting how they set it up that way. You know, conditions were maybe a touch below what our current patients would consider sufficient um, by the high Middle Ages, which maybe I got that wrong. Again, if we have any medieval scholars that listen, we'd love to hear a discussion about the Middle Ages, but had over a thousand beds, which is which is big, right? Huge. It is a lot. So a lot of modern hospitals, you know, for scale, I mean, I think, uh, you know, two to 400 beds, a 400, four or 500 bed hospital right now is huge. The biggest hospital in the world currently has, uh, I think almost 10,000 beds, but that's over in what? China. Yeah, hmm. I know. But there's, there are some Asian hospitals that are quite massive, but that's like, you know, the, those are like little cities, but still thousand beds. Probably not private rooms. Yeah, because it would routinely house 3,000 patients at, at least. So, well, that doesn't, how does that work then, Aaron? <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they, uh, they would put multiple patients in the same bed. Um, <laughs> yeah, you'd have, no. you'd have, a, you'd but have maybe the people back then were three times as small as we are today or a third the size. Probably were quite a bit smaller, but I still don't know if like, you know, spooning was a, a therapy that they felt made them feel better. Um, <laughs> nurses had to train sometimes for 12 years or more to be independent. And the staffing was strictly controlled by the monks to avoid cost overruns. So I'm not even sure what the patient ratio was, but up until the 16 and 1700s, there were only eight doctors for the whole hospital. <laughs> Hold on. That's what? 3000 patients for eight doctors. Yep. I mean, in, well, in fairness, you know, back in that time, I, I don't know if you can call what they did truly medicine other than. It's probably safer for the patients that the doctors only get to see them every once in a while. I was going to make that point. There's only so many emollients you can put on somebody. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. The nurses started their day at about five in the morning and, and worked in the night shift was at seven um, routinely. Um, so I guess the night shift was maybe a little shorter, but definitely worse. I mean, there weren't lights. So take a minute for the nurses here. They ran the whole damn thing. Nursing care had become more of a valued pursuit during the Crusades, from what I'm reading, around the same time, um, because there was a lot of need. And there was, therefore, a lot of people that needed you know, bandages and were banged up and beat up because they were traveling over the world doing terrible things and getting hurt in the process. And there really wasn't that much medicine to do. So nursing was sort of the bedrock of the profession of medicine or organized medicine at the start in Europe. The hospital, or especially hospital medicine, we'll say. So it started as a space for all the sick and poor of the dark ages that couldn't afford their own care, which given the times was almost everyone uh, keeping in mind at that time, let's see when it was founded, average life expectancy was somewhere in the 20s. Did they develop money by this time? Oh, that's a great question. I think there was, yeah, there was money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Nobody had any of it, but yeah, fair. you know, I don't think they had credit. Uh, you couldn't, no HSAs, definitely no, no janitorial staff. So yeah, nothing. Think of all the other people in a, in a modern hospital that make it run. None of that. So the nurses did the laundry, they did the cleaning, they did all that stuff. There was this giant linen room in the basement of the old hotel and they would have sort of two cycles generally of, of, of washing that they, the nurses had to do. There was a little wash for people that were sick, like daily. Uh, and then a great wash of the linens every six weeks. So every six weeks, they just take all the linens out of the hospital and, and wash them and then put them back, which sounds bad enough on its own. Uh, but they had to do that like in the river that goes through the middle of Paris. So they, they actually had to take all the linens down to the river and wash them and then, and then put them back. Well, winter or summer. So the nurses would just haul this giant, all these giant bundles of linen and break the ice to put <laughs> the linen in the river and then wring it out. And if it was summertime and it was low, they'd have to walk through the mud to wash it and then bring it back. I don't know. I don't think this worked very well. It just doesn't sound like it would. I don't think even with modern marvels and technology, I don't know that their jobs have gotten much easier. Yeah. Right. Well, and I say there's no janitorial staff, you know, how many... How many people listening to this podcast have seen a nurse clean a room within the last week? I would bet close to 
Mm-hmm. Again, bathrooms in the rooms, lots of times our, our patients today love when they have their own bathroom or they'll, yeah, there weren't, there weren't any bathrooms in the hospital. The night shift, that it was the job of the night shift, which all the night shift people are probably nodding right now that this would definitely be left for them by the day shift, that they were the ones to walk the patients out at around seven to sort of walk these people out to the latrines for toileting. There weren't any lights and there were no wheelchairs and it's Paris. So I'm sure it was dark by five. So I don't know why they. In fairness, I would totally leave that job for the next shift. Yeah. I mean, there were chamber pots, but I'd sign that out to you. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully they stock the carts. So, so the 14 patients in room seven have to all go to the bathroom. So during plagues, this 3000, that was like the non surge time of the hospital. That was just normal. During plagues, they would fill up, and uh, it was not unknown at all to have up to six patients in a bed. And what they'd do is they would put the heads and feet at opposite ends so the patients would fit, which I don't know how that's necessarily better. I mean, I feel maybe, like you need then, two rows. You need to stack yeah. one row on the other row. Just, no, I was actually going to say uh, foot to face when you were talking about the three people in the bed before. It yeah, yeah makes sense. Or, or you, hold on, but if you need to get six people in the bed, are they like all on their sides, foot to head? Like they're all laying on a shoulder? Yeah, they have to lay on the side. <laughs> oh, man. Oof. Yes, it's great when you can sort of allude to a horror movie and it, it doesn't sound that much worse than what it actually was. Mm-hmm. The maternity ward was obviously super busy. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't read about chainsaws, but... Callback. Yeah, right. Uh, very busy, very busy. But then, so not only was there this bustling maternity ward, but then there was also an option of just leaving your baby at the hospital if you were unable to care for it. So it doubled as an orphanage because because of rules at the time, the hospital was obliged to provide seven years of care for any orphan that was abandoned to them. Mm-hmm. And, and women would just give up the babies if they weren't able to care for them, which you know is probably pretty common at the time if they were that sick anyway, oh, or sure. that poor. And, and so what they do is they would use the not so sick patients to watch the orphans. <laughs> I look a lot hey, of background checks. Credit where it's due. If you're stacking yeah. six people into one bed and you've got somebody who is not stackable, but able bodied and apparently well enough to become free labor, might as well put them to use. Yeah, there's a lot of free labor hey, here. Lot watch those of... kids. Make sure they stay in that room. How hard could that be? Yeah. Shocking that maternal mortality was incredibly high. Although, um, in that environment, they did get what accounted for special treatment. So mothers that had just delivered were were kept for three weeks on a diet of meat and fish. Um, so there was, you know, definitely food services. That that sounds like a bonus for the time. Is that a bonus? Yeah, that was considered a bonus. Yeah. Okay. You know, some sort of some sort of there was a there's a I mean there's this whole thing too with wet nurses and. Healthy patients would also sometimes be used as wet nurses because of the maternal mortality. Some of the orphans, you know, had to be fed. I mean, there's this whole system that that they used. Basically, they're all trying to help each other in this crazy place. the The hospital took the full brunt of the Black Death in the 1300s, and there are reports of staff staying despite the whole city emptying to care for patients. And some of the texts are, you know, also look familiar and quite heroic. So there's all these. Discussions of the nurses just taking on the the endless, needy, sick, stinky, horrible, dying people without complaint. And you don't know that the people who are dying are horrible, Aaron. You're just passing a judgment. Well, <laughs> probably a lot of good people. Yes. You know what? I didn't mean horrible as a comment on their personality. I meant if you're okay. dying of the Black Death, it was probably a horrible scene. Let's say that. Yeah, that's that's fair. I didn't want you to get disparaged by. Yeah, no, I was not trying to patient shame there. Definitely not. (laughs) Okay, good. I should take out of this one. Further callback, there was also a massive graveyard nearby. So they would just, you know, load the dead into carts. Uh, There's discussions of how they would stack them directionally, and the smaller patients would go at the bottom and in between the others. Mm -hmm. And the the carts then would go back and forth in a very Monty Python-esque fashion uh, multiple times per day into just a, a large unmarked grave, which, you know, true to form as soon as the, uh, as soon as the night fell would, would often be raided for anatomy specimens. Another, another callback. Even back then in the 500. Yeah. I mean, well, so I'm talking about in general, I mean, if we get to the, there's this time period spreads over the 651 was back then, but this is usually more, it lasted this way for hundreds of years. 
Um, so once anatomy started in the 14, 1500s, then yes. And then, uh, you know, before they died, uh, if, if people weren't claimed the the stuff would get sold off to pay for the, the hospital expenses. <laughs> so practical, um, dark, but practical. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, they're not going to use it. And if nobody's claiming it, I saw this was our topic. I, I took a quick look cause I had to figure out what year to write the, um, not write the skit, right. To assume that we would be viewing the historical record and reenactment. And when I was doing so, I do you know what the death toll was for the Black Plague? Uh, well, it was high. 20 million. What do you think, Aaron? Uh, it's over about five years. Well, I'm going to go with like 60% of the population. So that maybe 10 million, just because there weren't as many people in Europe. So this is, of course, based on internet sources. Well, yeah. But it, like like a, a, an actual cited Wikipedia article, I believe it was 75 million. Oh, was the low end estimate. My God, that's mind boggling. I mean, it's amazing that there's any society that sort of limped its way through that at all. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, they didn't, you know, they, they didn't have germ theory. So, I mean, you can see how it spread and you can see why people thought, well, I'm going to go to the hospital to die because that's kind of what happened. We talked about earlier in earlier episodes, the miasma theory, which was just bad odors that made you sick. And I'm, I'm sure that was part of the ambiance of the hospital but (laughs) still viewed as preferable to dying in the street which was literally the other option so i mean this you know it's kind of back to what are your choices in the 1300s so you can either die just in the street and get stepped over or or you know have a little bit of dignity yeah it sticks to a bad dignity yeah get chucked (laughs) in a ditch (laughs) and your stuff sold if we've learned anything from doing this podcast, it is that there is no bright, happy stories from back in medicine. No, can we no, find a positive no, story someday? It's no good old days. Oh, it's going to get darker. Just, the just closest on, we have it? is a guy taking out his appendix successfully. And even then, that was in like the 1960s. All right, I'll, I'll try to be positive. But you, <laughs> yeah, can you just tell the rest of this in an upbeat tone? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that'd be, that'd be very easy. You're making me feel bad about the rest of the episode, actually. So no, it's just a comment on the darkness. I think the darker the better. Yeah, it's dark. It was dark. It sucked. Yeah, it was. It was. We are the ones who started a lighthearted show on the topic. I just don't think Mm -hmm. we realized how. I haven't even I haven't even gotten to the urban legend or the ghost story yet. This is just call it the good part so far. Okay, good. Like the death and despair podcast. I mean, we could we could (laughs) rebrand. Yeah, we could. You know, interesting parallel to to today where a lot of hospitals are nominally listed as nonprofits and a lot of them have, let's say they're run by religious organizations. The church used the hospital as a, not a front, but as a legitimate way to solicit donations. Um, But then they controlled all the money that came in. And conveniently, the sisters, nurses, the nuns that ran the hospital were asked to take a, a vow of poverty and obedience so they didn't get any of that, shockingly. And then they limited their staffing, so which would decrease the room and board to the point that uh, an elder sister had to die before they would appoint a replacement. So they put a strict cap on how many nurses they had to run the whole thing. That's what you got to do. You just got to convince your nursing staff to take a vow of poverty. Mm-hmm. Right. It all works out in the end. They would probably I mean, argue that they already did. Yeah. Depending on what you're asking, I think they have an argument. What did the traveler or traveling nurses do back then? <laughs> did they like they, they got an extra ratio, an extra ration of meat, a little bit of fish? Yeah, I'll go to Port-au-Prince. I'll get double bonus and <laughs> two rations of bread <laughs> rather than one. The nurses in Lyon get off at six, not seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are open beds, but no staff. No, no, no. There's plenty of staff. Why are you overstaffed? I can round on 5,000 patients in a day. Nursing ratio is just 10 to 1. Try finding that somewhere else. Yeah, that's pretty so just, good. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Just imagine if they had to draw labs and then do all the stuff and give meds and document. No, there there were meds. So they, 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 had, they had poultices and they had a they had a <laughs> herb room, right? That was There was one more experienced sister who had run the medicine cellar. The experienced sister is 21. <laughs> She's an old lady. Well, right, exactly. Life expectancy is what twenty four. She's uh, close to retirement. She passed the warranty, I think. 
despite this, it was considered an important institution and it did need more space. This is viewed as something that was good for the city. So they had to end up demolishing some of downtown. But the way they got the space or cleared out the space to expand relates to one of Paris's oldest urban legends called the Barber and Baker of the Ile de la Cité, which I totally butchered. <laughs> Barber and Baker. Barber and Baker. Yeah. I didn't say butcher. Oh, okay. Well, anyway. You stretched the pun too far. Barbers are butchers, weren't they? Well, maybe. So apparently there was a, a famous street near the cathedral that was known for its delicious meat pies and pastries, which meat shouldn't be in pies, but that's not really the hill to die on right now. I'm a vegetarian. Even I disagree with that statement. Oh, okay. Well, we can fight about that another day. But, that's but just meat wrong, pie so. and shepherd's pie are two different things. Yeah, I think they are. I think shepherd's pie is like where it's potatoes over and it's just arranged. A, a, I mean, a meat, meat pie is actually baked into... Just, just yeah, it is. Beef Wellington is is probably a meat pie. Anyway, people loved it. They, they said, oh, it's the best meat pies in all of France. And they came from all around or all of Paris at least. One day though, this this dog started just refusing to leave a specific corner on this street with all the wonderful meat pies that held both a barber shop and a bakery that sold these famous meat pies. And the, the dog's mom tried to get it to go home, but it wouldn't. And this was really stressful for her because her husband was also missing at the same time and the dog wouldn't go home and just everything was very bad. But after a while, the dog was so insistent that the wife was like, huh, maybe there's something here. And she got the police involved somehow. And the story goes that under inspection, the barber was the source of the or the reason why the husband was missing, because he would give certain clients, especially students and foreign travelers that were unlikely to be missed way too close to shave, if you know what I mean, just kind of and then he had this little shoot after he'd cut their throat and just send them down a shoot to the basement of the baker shop next door to be turned into meat pies, which is, it's a really gross legend. But there was even... Aaron, did you watch Sweeney Todd and get confused when you wrote this? No. It, 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 well, of course, it shows up in multiple, multiple countries. So what's the actual... Who knows? This is an urban legend, so there's no proof that it ever happened. But there's got to be some reason that people came up with it in more than one place. They also watch Sweeney Todd. Yeah, that could be. It's a good, it was a good, I mean, it's a good story. Yeah, it relates to, it's just very similar. The dog was so famous it had a bronze statue up into the 1800s, but that was then torn down again to expand the hospital even further. But that's cold. Yeah, I know, right? So Paris was aghast at this scandal and the whole block was leveled uh, where this, this uh, took place. And that made room for the hospital to expand. The two Perpetrators were hung or burned, and then they probably both got given to anonymists, and that just you know all, all sorts of callbacks. Should have made them into pies. Oh, uh, let me correct <laughs> your grammar. Let me correct your grammar. It was hanged, not hung. Okay, they were hanged. <laughs> Fair, you know, I'm not great I'll at just my just pass that quickly. All right, so so the overcrowding and plagues, because let's face it, the Black Death was only one of the many plagues that hit Paris. Also leads to one of Paris's most famous haunted streets that relates to this hospital. Um, there's a street called the Rue de Chantre, or however you say it. It's a little yeah, street within... Yeah, right? I'm, I'm trying here. Within view of the Notre Dame, where visitors claim they can sometimes still hear the haunting sound of ghostly children playing, even when none are present. Even today? Even today. Yeah, it's it's on the list of modern... You know, If you want to go on a ghost, a ghostly tour of Paris, this is one of your destinations. Not to be um, that guy, but I think it's interesting that in the age of cell phones, when we all carry a recording device, that we don't have more evidence of things like that existing. Mm -hmm. Well, the ghosts know when you're recording, so then they're just quiet. That's right. No recordings. <laughs> they don't like signing the releases. This is a problem. Yep. Yeah, no, it just, yeah, not binding. All right. Ghost stories to Sweeney Todd remakes. What else is going on here? Well, so there was a cholera epidemic and up to 19,000 people died during a six month period in the city alone, um, which, you know, Paris at the time was not that big. It was probably smaller than, a, you know, a, a mid-sized Midwestern city. So 19,000 is a ton. As treatment was attempted, the Hotel Dieu overflowed and they used buildings Ooh, along with, that. Oh, never mind. You're talking. Yes, it did. Yep. You got it. You got it. Um, some buildings and hotels along the Rue de Chantre 
were used to house children. And for some reason, they decided to, you know, put them on the bottom floor and then lock them in, I guess, so they couldn't run away. And they were on the bottom floor because uh, the upper floors were for people that wanted to view. I don't know. But then regardless, they had them down there and the Seine, which is the river in Paris, which I'm probably saying wrong, flooded. And all the buildings along the island's edge were submerged up to the second floor. And all these children that were dying of cholera anyway had no to get out, no way to get out of the building. I didn't think you could make it darker. There you went. Yep, yep. So they they play along that very street to this day. But <sighs> yeah, yeah. No, this is a great one. So from the 1500s on, due to the appalling conditions above, there was a move to gradually modernize the hospital. There was a, a board of advisors, rich Parisians around the time of King Louis, the Sun King, put a bunch of money into modernizing the hospital. It became a uh, a cause celeb, if you will. Um, people love to, to show off and put money into it. Gradually, over the years, turned it into a, a teaching institution, brought both surgeons and barbers into the fold, as well as many doctors. They were different at the time and slowly developed a reputation as one of the leading hospitals in Europe. So, you know, I mean, they they fixed it. In fact, it uh, became the early seat of evidence-based medicine and the home of the precursor to the randomized controlled trial, which they used to test the efficacy of leeches for pneumonia. Mm. Yeah. So uh, this was a really interesting sort of later story. So Francois Brousset, very famous physician who lived in the 1700s until about 1832, right around the time of the French Revolution. He claimed that all fevers were identical and that they stemmed from inflammation of the organs. Not far off. Right, right. So close, right? So close. And, and yet. That'd be like partial credit, I think. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, because fevers come from, I don't remember which interleukin, but it's one of this them. whole process of IL-6, IL-1, Rain wow. gets all sad about it and starts raising the temperature of the body to kill the bad things getting in there. That's how physiology do. It is, it is generally inflammation, but he decided from that sort of on the right track start, he decided the best treatment was to apply leeches to the part of the body that corresponded to the offending organ to drain off the inflammation. So <laughs> they would kind of mm. guess if, if they thought they had pneumonia, they would put leeches on the chest, for example. That was kind of how it worked. So they'd f- figure out where the inflammation was. At least there's some rational thought, like it's wrong, but at least there's, yeah. you can see how they got there. The heyday of this... 1800s. So the treatment was so popular that in one year in 1833, France imported 42 million leeches for this, for this treatment. I knew I should have invested in leeches back in the day. Yep. Should have leech. Big leech. (laughs) Could you imagine all the memes, like the Dogecoin (laughs) memes? Oh God. I got, I got into leeches at point, like five cents. (laughs) (laughs) Leeches at 250. YOLO. Russian leech options. To the moon. Hoddle. Hoddle leeches. <laughs> Tell us about those diamond hands, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm just an ape. I don't know anything. Nice. That's a big brain comment. One of the distinguished faculty at the Hotel Dieu, who also worked at an even more public hospital in Paris, La Charité, I guess, you know, there was another one that closed that wasn't quite as downtrodden as the Hotel Dieu, thought that maybe the leeches were a bit questionable. So around the year 1823, Pierre Charles Alexandre Louis, the son of a humble wine merchant, having spent seven unpaid years studying by autopsy and the general medical internship idea, um, for years applied what was called a numerical method to test whether or not a treatment worked by comparing different groups of patients. So this was, you know, I mean, we, we do this now. We compare different groups of patients and use that broadly to decide what treatments work. But at the time, he received a huge amount of flack for this whole idea. They were saying all fevers were the same, but the patients were not. How could you compare one patient to the other? The doctors at the time were saying this is all madness. <laughs> so, But he is nonetheless regarded as one of the fathers of evidence-based medicine. And so he decided to test the leeches. He collected... Uh, Good thing is, though, nowadays, whenever somebody comes up with a new treatment, theoretical concept, everybody, there's never any conflict. There's never any contention. Everybody is on board and eager to try and adopt new things and change their practice accordingly when the evidence is overwhelming. I'm glad we've moved on. Yeah, we, we've definitely moved on from from 
the dark ages. But I wonder, I, you know, and we've covered this enough to know that there were feuds in different, you know, I guess ideologies and thoughts about things. But just imagine if like he would write this study and then he would post it to like Le Facebook, <laughs> you know, and then you had the, you know, like the, the cobbler who was like, oh, I disagree. I read this study. <laughs> it was cobbler. like mainly in scientific hands. Back yeah. Then. It's all about the four. It's actually about the platform. I think a fair amount. Yeah. But even we know, I mean, people, there will be new approaches to treatment of XYZ condition and you can have an awesome study that shows obviously it seems to be the right thing to do and medicine generally is slow to adopt concepts. I think it's every time yeah. there's a new obviously practice changing concept with strong evidence base, it still takes about 10 years for it to trickle down to common practice. Well, and think about us too. Like it, I feel like it changes so much so frequently now, like the sepsis score, you know, like I didn't have a sepsis score when I went through training and then they're just like, well, now you use the sepsis score. You know, like it, it's yeah, a complete it changes, change of practice. It changes all the time. Well, and COVID has been, you know, it's been things that have changed sometimes on the order of weeks. Yeah. That when, when it starts, you like intubate them right away. And then three weeks later, they're like, don't intubate them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. Well, that was when I, especially for like a listener who may not be in the medical field, that, that was something that was very odd because when COVID started and we had nothing to go on other than just reports, word of mouth coming from places like Italy and China and things. And so the problem was we, although we knew roughly, you know, we knew we were dealing with a virus, we had no standardized treatment for it. And so this led to, and actually in retrospect, pretty incredible collaboration. I mean, oh, through yeah. things like social media, Facebook, we were able to talk to physicians who were taking care of people and, and basically do our best to, figure out better approaches to like the low oxygen levels and those things almost real time because you didn't have much to draw off of. And so it's, uh, it, it, I will say of everything we all went through and are still going through, that was one of the strangest times because everything we've done since I graduated residency and learned everything I could to that point, there was always a big foundation for it. A lot of people had done stuff before. So that was like the first time, at least in my career, which is certainly on the younger side, that I've, we're really unsure. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and using the same principles though, right? So, I mean, that that's mm -hmm. kind of what we were trying to do, but it was just so rapid. But uh, yeah, so I mean, it's uh, almost kind of similar to what uh, Dr. Louie did, right? I mean, in, in some ways. So he he gathered 77 patients, which is a, a, a big number at the time. I mean, you don't really know probably statistically how many you need at that time because the math is not even well developed. Sure. They, they were all healthy before. And then he divided them into groups that either got leeches early during days one to four mm -hmm. or late, which was days five to nine. And he just divided them. And he found that patients that had leeches early had a shorter duration of illness, but they also had a staggeringly increased rate of death. So 44% that had early leeches died compared to 25% with late leeches. So he concluded that leeches were only good for severe disease. So I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, you got to start somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Right. So he's, he's with no so germ close. theory. Uh, so close. Yeah, hey, there was an attempt that, that, that is legit attempt. I'm not, I'm not going to be mad about that. Yeah, he was a self-trained mathematician too. So, I mean, statistics, the way we have them now, where you just go learn the right way to do things. I mean, it, it, it didn't exist. So he built an abacus when he was five. Did you see that? I did not. I just made it up. Okay. <laughs> well, it sounded real. <laughs> sounded real. This place, the Hotel Dieu, still a complex mystery. Its foundations are spread across the whole center island of Paris. The lowest level that was established in the 600s is now one wall of a police parking garage. Uh, the huge graveyard is gone. I have no idea what's built over it. I almost don't want to know. Uh, the catacombs that exist underneath the island and throughout Paris are full of uh, untold dead from the multiple plagues and especially the Black Death. But, I mean, it's just an amazing place in the world. It's survived almost 1,500 years of history, um, only to potentially finally close as a hospital. Um, there's a lot of demonstrations ongoing, or at least they were, there were in 2019 and 2020 to protest against the closing of the emergency mm. department. That's still there. 
the hospital floors are still there. There's about 350 beds still existing, but most of them are abandoned. For some reason, there's still a, a, a surviving ophthalmologic emergency center. So specifically for eye emergencies that's housed mm -hmm. there. But there's also plans to sort of redevelop it into a very 2021 sounding mix of expensive housing, retail space, and a research hub in quotes that will incubate kind of cutting edge research, right? So like a condos little mini, yeah, condos and offices. I mean, it looks really pretty in the art, the uh, architect's sketch, but it would kind of be, you know, in some ways a sad end to this, this incredible piece of history. You can go and tour it if you're in Paris. There's a, a hidden gardens and apparently you can just kind of walk around the abandoned upper floors without people hmm. bothering you too much. I don't know if that's changed with COVID, but there's the a little door. Aren't submerged or? Yeah, no, they aren't submerged anymore. No. Yeah. So that's a. Uh... It seems very anti-Paris. Like I've, I've never been, but I've seen pictures and it seems to me that they do a fairly good job or they would want to maintain that history. I think there's so much history, right? That, right. I, I don't know exactly why it's, why it's going that direction. And you would think they might preserve it in some ways, but mm. uh, that was another rabbit hole. I couldn't quite get myself to go all the way down. So if people. It's, different. it's a different podcast. Yeah. If our French listeners know uh, some additional details, you could get a shout out on the episode about what's actually going Ooh, on with this place. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. a lot, but. I also want to point out, which has nothing to do with anything, as we've been recording, and it darkens. I think Mike's doing a Blair Witch episode by himself. <laughs> He's kind he was of in creepy a completely right dark room He's with only a slight out at me. on his computer screen. <laughs> He's I just didn't have sort my of light slipping on. into the darkness as we talk. Well, yeah, I didn't have my light on. Anytime I move my boom on the mic, it makes this huge noise. So, yeah, it looks like he's peeking out from a catacomb right now. Mm -hmm. Can you cry into the camera and say you're so scared? <laughs> Wait, no, I'm going to turn my back, stand in the corner of the room as the light turns on. <laughs> and scene. Paranormal. So I do have to point out to all our listeners who are anxiously awaiting the second skit with bated breath, it is my fault. I went on too long with all this history, and uh, it just was too long to include a second skit. I'm, I'm really sorry, everybody. I think if we didn't have the messy argument for 15 minutes about the definitive article, the we <laughs> might have been able to fit a skit in here, but Wait, is that beyond that, the front or the back? That, well, that's, that's the quality content. I, we know everybody comes here for that. We know. And that's all we have for today. <laughs> we appreciate everyone listening and we'd love to hear from all of you out there. If you'd like to send us a message or provide feedback, we can be reached through our website, www.poorhistorianspod.com. There you will find links to our social media sites. We do take emails at poorhistorianspod at gmail.com, and we do work to respond to all the posts on the various social media accounts. If you are old-fashioned, go ahead and call Aaron at his home number between the hours of 4 and 6 p.m. Most nights, what? his number is area code. You're making fun of me doxing everybody else. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll probably remember to edit that out, Aaron. And until next time. Until next time what? <laughs> I don't oh. know. We don't have a catchphrase. Nobody you guys haven't come up with one. I was told, yeah, I'll I'll work Okay, on you something. haven't come up with one that we can use that is not these nuts. Um <laughs> let me see. Uh uh Adieu. Adieu? That's perfect. Tell if Aaron's camera froze or he's just very still. Nope, he's moving. Oh, no, no, no. I'm here. I just was trying <laughs> to not interfere with the workings of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Must have All a right. black bear in the room. He's trying to stay still so I didn't see him. <laughs> That's T Rex. That's T Rex. Vision is based on movement. Everybody knows that. Watch a book. Mm -hmm. Skip How one. would anybody even know that? Whatever. <laughs> Science. Skip one. I like the idea of stacking patients to build things. <laughs> It probably was done. I didn't know that I had a part, so I had to. I know. I like. I like that you went on the fly. I. I actually, a friend of mine is uh, uh, that I. I like a guy I knew in medical school that I reconnected with recently. He is. His name is Francois, and I am ashamed to tell him about uh, this uh, episode. But I, I thought you were going to say that his name is Susan, and then that masculine <laughs> voice was really not that far off. <laughs> now he's gonna. He's gonna have a field day with this. I look forward to it. 
All right. Well, well, hopefully, hopefully you keep out the the fact that I said big nets first. <laughs> <laughs> I I will. <laughs> I will. Uh, I will do that. I am not aware of any shout outs this week. Are you guys aware of any shout outs? Uh, well, honestly, if you think, yeah, we don't have anything listed, but the you know the overcrowding thing, we could potentially shout out everybody that works in an emergency department or acute care that's being overwhelmed right now with just volumes of humanity. <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Totally fair. I think, you know, we've been really busy. I think probably a lot of people across the country have been really busy and it does get stressful and like it's, you know, it can get straining. I could, I find myself like more and more irritable at work just because it just feels like you can't ever dig out. Well, that that's fair, and I will attest to anybody listening to this that Mike is definitely way more irritable. Oh my god! And all the stuff that we <laughs> can we just hey, I'm sorry for texting you yesterday. The whole the the thing. Oh yes, we got it. Uh, yeah, so we we're busy. Well, let's settle the debate on air. Go ahead. No, but we had some you time. plead your case. Well, unfortunately, which, which is wrong, by the way. But go ahead and try to plead. Really? Ah, <laughs> oh. wait. You're just saying it's wrong because because it's me. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Say what, no, say so what yeah. you thought was so the right. This is an unofficial shout out to our colleague, Christine. Yeah. So it's, it was busy, busy day. So, I mean, we've been busy, but then we had some downtime and it was like a couple of days ago, I had to co-sign a chart. And within the text of the chart, the the provider had documented patients. So every time somebody was talking about the patient or referring to the patient in the chart, it just said patient, not the patient. Mm-hmm. So it was patient, 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 patient. I'm reading it. And I, in the way we document is in prose. You know, we, we document as if you're reading a book. And I'm reading this. I just thought this just doesn't look right. You know, and, and I'm co-signing that chart. It's my medical chart, essentially, at the end of the day. You know, I'm responsible for the information within it. So then I, and I wasn't going to do it, but I was like, you know, just, can you change it to the, it just doesn't sound right. And I caught so much, (laughs) I was like joking around. Like one of the other provisors, I sent a message and I was like, thank you for correcting the chart. Now it sounds like you're a native English speaker. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I didn't, I didn't realize, I thought you were on the other end of that argument. So I I take back what I said before, like you're completely correct. I don't, I got so much grief. I, meanwhile, I'm getting text messages initially from from our our colleague (laughs) and then later from Mike. Not saying that this is having to do with both of them, but I put it together fairly soon thereafter. And the question was, it, do you have to use what it really turned out, which I finally figured out was just, you know, how you are using the definitive article, the, to describe a patient in the chart. And my standpoint was that even though medical charts are a formal thing in terms of a, a thing we have to do, technically physicians and a lot of healthcare providers use a lot of vernacular or slang and or abbreviations. So while the chart itself is kind of a formal entity, the language within may not necessarily need to follow all the formal rules. You will have to look hard to find complete sentences in most charts. And so, you know, in the end, both parties have a reasonable discussion, a reasonable point. I think either is fine. One of them one of them definitely reads better. And I think when you add the, it will read better. It reads better. It's interesting because we were having this conversation and then Christine grabbed one of the officers and said, hey, listen, I just have a question for you. When you're writing up one your of the, report- One of the police officers? Yeah. W- okay. When you're writing up your report on a suspect, how do you refer to them? Do you just write suspect? He's oh, like, no. Interesting. He, he said the first line is their full name and then they're referred to by their first name in the remainder of the document. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, that solves the problem. Then you don't need a definite article if you're referring by well, proper pronoun. Right. Proper but you noun. wouldn't say like the Susan, the Susan was arrested. Oh, of course but, not. Because but you would, I but actually it, would, but I'm <laughs> kind of weird. But if it like, yeah, uh, but it was just like, again, it was a style point. I kept saying it's style point, style point, not a huge deal. Yeah. No, it's, it's not a crime. It no. is very distracting, though. If you, if you didn't is, have a definite article, it would be very distracting. Right, to me cause it right. Would, so yeah. what I'm saying is you both can be right in different ways. Yeah. No, I don't have to. I What I told her, I was like, I don't have to co-sign yeah. your chart, so I don't care what you put in that. But I feel like for mine, I want it to read like you care about what you're putting on paper. Are there any other parts of speech you want to accentuate right now? No, that's it. Well, you know, my my mom was always a big grammar police, so like... 
uh, you could ask people at work like gone and went when that's using correctly. I don't like that. You know, borrow and loan and. What about less and fewer? Um, not as addressed in my childhood. So I, I don't. That really... is one of the things that I know Aaron can attest to. Yes. Oh my god. I, I can't unhear it. So every time that's it's used wrong, so even verbally or especially when I see it in writing, mm. I have to come to a complete stop. So if you say like, you know, I couldn't care fewer, that's the way you say it, right? Uh, <laughs> Wait, but then just that's, so you know that, that every meeting that we have to have on Zoom, Aaron and I always have accounting, <laughs> uh, a, like a counter or chatting with each other about how many times we, we know could so have many people somebody who, on oh, the use of less or fewer. Drives me crazy. interesting. It drives me up the wall. Do I use it appropriately? And I, I don't say I, everybody I don't, is don't say it drives me up us. wall. By the way. It doesn't drive me up the wall. It drives me so, up the wall. Yeah, the wall. That's Aaron. So that my <laughs> example that I use, I said, um, I said, Christine, if somebody calls, what are you going to do? Are you going to pick up phone? And then you <laughs> no, invite somebody over yeah. to your house and they're thirsty. Say, well, there's beer in fridge. Like, <laughs> you sound like an idiot. Put I mean, if you're talking caveman, it, then sure. Yeah, then, right. then you say that. So, but then... Then Christine was like, well, I can dictate my chart as if I'm speaking to somebody. I said, you speak to me, and you said the patient every time you referred to a patient. So why wouldn't you dictate that? I think what happens is that they got backed into a corner. They knew I was, you know, more right than than they were. And that dragon, when you dictate, when you hit that button, sometimes there's a, a lag in when it records. So then you might say the, but it gets cut off. Mm, possibly. Yeah. But There's then, a lot of weird vernacular in charts though, too. I mean, we, we oh, overuse yeah, no, I the do operator to a tremendous extent. So it'll be like the patient did present with, we say yeah. that all the time, stuff mm-hmm. like that. I'm like, well, that, why are you saying that patient yeah. presented with that's, you don't need to say the, the do. And it, that also drives me nuts, but it's and much, stop much using endorse. Oh, I know. Yeah. I don't like no. that. We need to do as a medical community, come, come together in a big, celebration of killing that word off honestly i think there's one person that started using that people overheard him say that they started saying it and then it just became i've never put that in chart i never have either yeah so it's pretty much a patient, lot of this is going in outtakes patient did definitely endorse lower yeah pain. <laughs> he endorsed a check do you endorse a check no <laughs> uh, all right yeah i, I was figuring i'm glad we're all on the same page